0: Marvin Dandy is a naturopath, a Reiki healer, a mentor, and an addiction counselor. But his life was not always so grounded or nearly as healthy. We'll find out more about the experiences that helped Marvin to become the person he is today in just a moment. Hello, everyone. I'm Pamela Brewer, welcoming you to this edition of Mind Talk. Marvin Dandy was born on January 15th. 1969 in South Carolina, but that wasn't his name then, and some changes were made to his birth certificate. Marvin Dandy, welcome to Mind Talk. Thank you, Marvin. Welcome. For for a moment you were you were Martin. What happened? Why did your name go from Martin to Marvin?
1: Well, in this in the 60s, and early part of the 70s, there was a lot of race, racial tension um, in, in Deep South. So my parents um, saw the need to name me after Martin Luther King with the exception of the last name um, Dandy. My last name is Dandy. So they gave me his initials, ML, which is Mar- Martin Leon, and they gave me Dandy. So knowing that the racial t- tension was going on, from my understanding, how my parents explained to me is that my name on my birth certificate should have been Martin because they named me Martin after Martin Luther King because I was conceived during the month that he was assassinated in April of 68, and I was born exactly January the 15th, the day of his birthday. So they named me after him. Um, Somehow, some way, which was very known and popular back then, that they would mess up your date of birth and your name in, in that time in the 60s and the early 70s. So, um, my parents never actually went back to change it, but the, my family and friends have always called me Martin and now Marvin.
0: When you say they were known to change days and, and, and dates, who's they?
1: Um, Vital Records, from my understanding, Vital Records would make, like, purposely make mistakes on the actual dates. Um, the actual time, the actual um not even not the year, the actual dates and the time and you know and those things they would actually just even be a day off or a day before or a day after um just never gave you the correct uh dates. from my understanding that's how it worked in the south
0: that's interesting yeah. so so a name that was very dear uh to your parents was in fact a name that was ultimately changed um, and not at their hand.
1: Exactly. I mean, because my parents, well, definitely my mom had had some form belief that um, I was predestined for greatness, and so she definitely wanted to name me after someone that was um, great. My parents also didn't believe in, um, in um, vaccination shots. I was born to a midwife. So I was kind of born into holistic health, you know, I was born to a midwife, I had never been vaccinated, um, so as a child, so they, like, I was pretty much predestined to practice holistic health, and um, they looked at me as being the next great speaker or leader.
0: Interesting. And now you were doing so much to help so many but i i, I want to stay with uh late sixties early seventies for a moment. Talk about your experiences as a child growing up during that time? What kinds of uh situations were you exposed to
1: i was well I was brought up actually in washington d c my mom actually um, my mom never ever went into detail why she had um, Went to South Carolina. She just told me that she had fear for her life, um, so she went to South Carolina to have me when she was uh, pregnant with me. Um, so she went to my grandmother's house to uh, give birth to me. So when I, she, I just was born there, and I was brought back here in Washington D.C. Okay. So I was pretty much I was pretty much raised in Washington D.C. in Southeast, in an area that's called um, Hoffer Street or um, like Knox Knox Place. It's located near Alabama Avenue in Southeast. Okay. So, um, so I was pretty much raised all my life in Southeast DC in War Seven and War Eight of DC.
0: Would Um, would you say that your early experiences in Washington DC had an impact on who you are today?
1: Oh, definitely, definitely. I, I experienced a lot of things in um in Southeast. I witnessed a lot of things in Southeast. Of course, um drugs was prevalent in, in the community that I grew up in, but it was um, still somewhat a sense of community in the 70s. It still was a sense of community. You didn't have a lot of kids like now out here um, you know, selling drugs. It was more so um, they encouraged the kids to stay in school and stay focused and not get involved in any drug activity. So, I, of course, like I said, I, I witnessed a lot of that coming up. However, um, like I said, it wasn't the kids that were really influenced influences, more so the adults that was actually out there. And um, I, I also witnessed a lot of violence um, coming up, um, shootings, stabbings, fights, um, a number of things. Um, actually, I had um, experienced the trauma myself at some point in my life. I was um, shot at 26 in the back. Um, I was shot, uh, one bullet put a hole in my liver uh, scraped my lungs and fractured my ribs um and based on the life that i was living i didn't think i would make it past 25 and then for me to get shot at 26 it was really traumatizing for me
0: did anyone ever catch the person who shot you or look for the person who shot you
1: um no no one they no one ever um found out what happened um it was kind of common back then that um the officers back then didn't really do a whole, a lot of, you know, a diligent search on finding um, the perpetrators back then. Um, It's especially in that community. Um, They all pretty much figured it had to be somewhat drug related. So they didn't do a whole lot of um, investigating and work to find out exactly what happened.
0: So they, they just kind of ignored the violence.
1: Pretty much ignored the violence. And I also was, I was also stabbed around about 18 years old in a big brawl that took out um, with a, quite a few friends of mine. So I was stabbed at 17, 18 years old, trying to break up a fight, um, was stabbed on the side, in the side. So I was, like I said, I witnessed a lot of things, and experienced a lot of trauma, um, which has given me the skills and the ability to kind of relate to some of the young people that are going through the things that they're going through now.
0: There was another adults. there was another trauma that you experienced even earlier when your mom passed. You were just a youngster when your mom died. Yes.
1: Yes, my mom was seven. I mean, no, I'm I'm sorry. No, my mom was seven. I was 7 years old when my mom passed. Um so my dad, it was five of us. It was four boys and one girl. So my dad did the best that he could um with five children and being a single parent. So my dad had to learn how to kind of cope and raise us so he kind of found some coping mechanisms and one of those coping mechanisms were drinking so he started to drink and also gamble Um, as a result of that we couldn't keep stable housing so we kind of moved place to place Um, we never kind of had stable housing from the age of 7 to the age of 11 so we kind of every time we moved somewhere we wouldn't be there no more than a year because we would come home at some point, and notice our furniture out in the community, and it got to the point that the people in the community just started to just sit with us until my parents, my father got home from work. Because at some point, it was kind of um, you know funny to the kids because you know kids can be cruel. Yes. But at some point, at some point, it wasn't a joke anymore because they saw a pattern, and so some of the kids and even adults started just sitting out there with us, so, so people wouldn't take out stuff. Um, uh, my dad would come home drunk upset said he paid the rent. I don't know why what happened, so we had to uproot again we didn't, I didn't stay with my aunt before and family and friends, so that was kind of traumatizing too the in, you know the instability of that.
0: We're going to go to a break, uh, but when we come back, um, that was not the end of the trauma that you experienced. And with each experience that you've shared thus far, it would be a very short walk to really winding up, being an alcoholic, living on the streets, and not having uh, a good life at all. So when we come back, we'll pick up with some additional traumas that you experience, folks. This is Pamela Brew. You're listening to Mind Talk, and I'm having a conversation with Marvin Dandy, who is the founder of Black to Health. We'll be right back. <laughs> losing a parent uh, at the age of seven, continually being uprooted, um, dad was dealing with his own addictions, and by 16 years old, you yourself were a dad.
1: Correct. Correct. So at the age of 15, I, I met a young lady that um, I fell in love with that I uh, uh, kind of realized that, hey, I wanted a child at age 15. I wanted someone to love me unconditionally as I love other people. Um, Knowing that I had a trauma, at that time, I didn't know that I was, I didn't know that I made a connection with not having someone in my life from the age of, my mom, my life from the age of seven to 15 would impact how my relationship with women until I got older as an adult. So at 15 years old, I went to a friend, friend house, an older guy, and told him, look, I want to have a child, and the reason why I want a child is to have a child that loved me unconditionally. So around fifteen, I started dating a young lady. At sixteen, she at sixteen, I um, the young lady was pregnant. Um, I had my son at actually age seventeen, um, but she was pregnant at sixteen. I was I was sixteen when she was pregnant, so I had my son at seventeen, ended up being a single parent. Um, it wasn't until three months into um, three to four months into her pregnancy, I realized that she was addicted to crack cocaine that she was introduced to by her mother. Um, so when my son was born, he was born addicted to crack cocaine. Um, so um, I tried to get him on several occasions when he was born. Um, he had stayed in the hospital for about a month um, because he was addicted to crack cocaine. So when he finally came home, I, you know, I tried to visit him and, actually tried to uh, take him with me on the weekends. She wouldn't allow it because she was still using as well. And I guess that was her only stronghold she had on me. So at some point my sister went with me to get him to visit and she allowed my sister to see him. And he was three months at the time. And when she allowed my sister to see him, we took him home. And, um, that was the story. We never brought him back. Um, She never looked for him. I mean, she had contact with me. She knew exactly where I lived. I knew where she lived. But she had other kids after that. So I ended up raising my son at the age of um, 17, and he was three months old. So I ended up being a single dad at 17 and trying to maintain uh, my education and school and raise a child.
0: Was there anyone to help you?
1: Yes. I had a really close family member. Um, that was the closest my mom. Um, she took me in at the age of 11. Her and her husband, um, they took me in and raised me since I was uh, 11 years old. And they had been married for 53 years. They've been married for 53 years until my dad, my dad passed, the one that raised me. So I had a really good foundation in reference to seeing what a healthy relationship really was, or is. Um, they showed me how to parent how to be a man, how to be caring and nourish, you know, nurturing. Um, so they kind of helped me, but they also held me accountable, made, made sure I was responsible and not trying to avoid the task of raising my child. So um, it was limited on some of the things they do. They didn't, they didn't do it because they were being mean. They did it because they wanted me to become a young man because I made a choice. And because of that choice, So the consequences was, hey, you have to raise your child. You have to be a single dad. And you have to finish school. You have to um, be a role model for your son. So I had some poor support from that aspect. Um, But, of course, as a teenage boy, still wanted to run the streets. um, Still didn't want to be responsible. So, like I said, I got into the streets as well and became a street pharmacist at some point to kind of subsidize my income outside of the money that they would give me um, every month or every two weeks for my allowance. So I I figured I needed more. So I decided to go on the streets and um, support my habit, which is, you know, to take care of my child or or the habit of buying clothes and hanging out and partying.
0: So it sounds like you, as I said earlier, um, you could have very, very easily gone in another direction. You could have very easily left your son with whomever and lived a life on the streets and not be alive to talk to us today. What do you think it was about you that that allowed you, guided you to continue to push forward to become the man you are today?
1: Um, I would say... resilience uh and consistency consistency on the part of my parents that raised me um they instilled into me that's like they told me like look you're a man before you anything um you got to be responsible and they never ever ever gave up on me even though i know i've let them down on many occasions but they never gave up on me they always believed it they always knew that i'm I will be a a good person. I had a good heart, and uh, my intentions were good. They never gave up on on me. And just to know that and feel that for someone to just take me in and believe in me in the way that they believed in me, I had no other choice but to um, stay focused. And also, in retrospect, I look at my dad, my biological dad, that raised me for this uh, period of my life, and how um, he was consistent as far as working. He wasn't consistent as far as being a provider for his kids, but he was consistent as far as working. So I picked up those same work ethics. So I always worked somehow, always, have, always had a job, or if I had to be in the streets, I always found a way to um, generate some form of income. So I just, I just really believe that the people that I had around me were re- very, very, very supportive um, and stayed on top of me to keep me on the right track. Um, Like you said, I agree, I could have easily stray, you know, went to the left. But my parents wouldn't let me. They continued to stay in my ear. They continued to tell me what was right and what was wrong. My father had long talks with me that I didn't want to hear, but I always listened. Um, And I had another brother who used to always tell me, he said, you know, the smartest man that ever lived is the one that listens. You may not agree with what I got to tell you, but at least listen. So... Just from that alone, I always listen. Not saying that I had to receive all the information and apply it all, but I, I at least listen. So I think that's a, a good skill.
0: Absolutely, and we know that so many people um, don't do that nowadays. Uh, perhaps may even be part of why we are in the the place that we are as, as a country. D- tell me about black to health what what is that and how did you begin
1: so how how black to health started was um i picked up some habits as well from, um you know having you know being a teen father so of course I not of course but i started drinking hanging out partying so um as a result of me drinking um i had an accident about um 12 years ago Um, And from that accident, I decided to find out why do I drink so much? Um, You know, what is it that I'm trying to avoid? So I took the course um, to become a certified addiction counselor. And so when I became a certified addiction counselor, I met a young man that told me about holistic health. And I said, Hey, I said, I'm, I practice that right now. He said, I said, I didn't even know it was a term. He said, yeah, that, the term is natu- you're, you're a naturopath or a naturopathic doctor or a naturopath. I said, well, how can I learn more about it? He said, well, they have a course that's coming up. You can take the course after you finish the certified addiction course. So once I graduated and got my certification, I went straight into the course as a, a certified holistic health practitioner. And um, I finished that course and graduated. And then I took an, an advanced course. And what I've learned in those courses from an addiction course and also from the Path, the Holy City Health Practitioner course, I learned that alcohol and other drugs and food are a symptom of something greater. They're only symptoms of something greater. And I also learned that foods and drugs are connected to emotions and emotions are connected to organs. And once I started learning the science behind all those things, I had to pull away from drinking. I had to pull away from eating meat. I had to pull away from the lifestyle that I was living. Then I also said, you know what? Not only am I going to apply it to myself, I'm going to give this information to other people in the community and kind of help other people go through the same process that I went through, give them a better understanding of what it is all about. And so that's what Black to Health came, came about. I said, well, I'm going to create a uh, business that will, can cater to those kind of things, the people that have addictions people that don't know how to build and maintain healthy relationships. So I actually, um, created, um, black to health. Just, it stems just from that, just from my issues, the things that I've been through and learning about who I was and why I did the things that I did. Um, it was very intriguing, very, um, and very insightful. It was very insightful. And to this day, um, the clients that I uh, come in contact with are very, uh, Doing very well for themselves after um, we have uh, consultations and meetings.
0: So it sounds like you were well received by your uh, by your community.
1: Oh yes, definitely, definitely was well received by the um, community because I've been in mental health and education for over twenty five years, huh. and I've I've been um, certified in a number of areas and went to school for um, sociology and human services and but I hadn't got, I hadn't had this type of training as far as being an addiction counselor and also a holistic health practitioner. The training that I have now from my perspective is, is, uh, is really, it feels like a superior training because it it, it helps me to deal with my day to day life and help people deal with their day to day life that um, it doesn't give you that conventional training that you normally get from an institution. It gives you, um, more insight, more it don't it don't deal with the um symptoms for lack of a better term. It don't deal with symptoms, it deals with the core issues. You know, like people can become violent. And I just don't look at just the violence. I look at also not just the behavior, I also look at what stem this behavior what caused this behavior. You know, and because of that certification or because of my training that gave me the ability to look into that. And it's very interesting. Um like, for example, another a, a quick example, like young the young men now that's doing a lot of smoking, the young ladies that's doing a lot of smoking. And based on my training, smoking deals with your lungs. And your lungs um, and holistic health deals with bonding. So a lot of the young kids now have a lot of bonding issues. Um, and that's the way I'm able to come in and address a lot of the issues because a lot of people aren't addressing it in the way that I'm addressing so so it's, um,
0: it, it really sounds like you are looking at the whole person without judgment and helping the whole person to sort of redo their lives in a way that gives them a better opportunity at life.
1: Correct, correct. I'm dealing okay. with it from a, a holistic perspective, exactly, other than just separating it.
0: Marvin Dandy, we're going to take a break and when we come back, we will continue and talk a little bit more about Black to Health. Folks, don't go away. This is Pamela Brewer. <music> Marvin, as you've told us your story and the creation of Black to Health, I'm wondering if there's anything in particular you would want young men who are listening today uh, to to hear or to think about, and also to the people who care about the young men. What do you want them to think about?
1: In, in reference to their lives life in general. Yeah. Um, accountability, accountability, I mean, just being held accountable, because when you are being held accountable, it makes you responsible for what you do. And once you're responsible, once you become responsible for what you do, it gives you some form of clarity on what you need to do. So I think that now a lot of young people, male and female, avoid accountability. People feel now that I'm entitled like, you know, they don't have to work for anything. It's like you're supposed to give it to me. But when you, when you are held accountable, it's, it's like your actions, your actions comes with consequences. Now, nowadays, your actions is just your actions. It, it don't come with consequences. And if it do come with consequences, you find a way out of it when you should just accept your consequences and move forward. That's how you grow. So no one really wants to be held accountable. No one wants to be loyal. No one has integrity for a lot of the young people. Um, And I think that there's a lot of parents just feel the need just to pull back and they don't want to put forth the effort and the time because it takes a lot of work to really raise a child. And one of my most famous sayings is the two hardest jobs you'll ever have in your entire life is raising a child and maintaining a healthy relationship. If you combine both of those together, you really got a hard job. But just doing it separately is a hard job. Raising a child in the right way from, from your perspective and the way you were, the way you were brought up is really, it's really hard. And maintaining a healthy relationship, because the, to put emphasis on accountability, kids had a tendency to hold you accountable as well. You know, they hold you accountable well. You didn't say this. You said one thing, and then you did this. And that's what my, my son was able to do to me he was able to hold me accountable and when he held me accountable i had to take ownership for it like but dad you said this but you did that i'm like okay son yeah you're right and so i had to be responsible for my actions as well so i think that we just got to learn how to take some responsibilities uh for our actions if nothing else be you know take accountability for what you do
0: how is your son today
1: He's doing good. He's doing good. He's uh, 6'4". Um, 30, he's 6'4". He's 32 years old. He'll be 33 in August. Um, a, a piece that I left out that he was, um, not only that he was a uh, um, born addicted to uh, crack cocaine, he was hit by a car at the age of nine. He was hit by a car um, going to school. It was a hit and run. The car hit him and dragged him for 20 feet and left him for dead. Um, He was in the hospital, in a coma for um, three months. He was in the hospital for uh, around about four or five months and had to get therapy for two years. And he fractured his um, leg, broke his nose, his jaw, and he had brain damage. Um, So like I said, he was in a coma for three months, and the doctor said that, um, you know, he would never, ever be the same, and he would never remember anything past five minutes. Like, after five minutes, he, is, he will forget because the accident affected his memory. Mm-hmm. Um, on New Year's Eve, I went to the hospital and prayed over my son um, and at nine years old, and he came out of his coma. And to this day, my son can remember things when he was 18 months old. He can tell you things where him and I hung out when he was three years old. Like, it's amazing. So he's just doing extremely well. He's a really good... Good child has a really good heart. I believe he definitely is before time because he has a really good heart, and it's really it's really hard for him now to kind of manage a, a healthy relationship um, with his uh, female counterpart. Mm-hmm. But outside of that, he's doing extremely well. He's motivated.
0: That's good wonderful. Kid. How how do listeners get more information about the work that you're doing? How do they learn more about Black to Health?
1: You can go to my website. Is Black to health 2 is T-O, Black2Health.com um, and also you can also email me um, at Marvin Dandy last name is spelled D-A-N-D-Y 1969 at gmail.com um, and also can be reached at um, you can could, you do could the email or the um, website and I can be reached directly on my phone at 240- Six nine one two seven seven one. That's two four zero six nine one two seven seven
0: one. That's terrific, Marvin. Thank you so much for sharing your extraordinary life and the courage and the resilience that both you and your son uh, have acquired and lived with for these years. Thank you so much. Thank you. And, folks, thank you for joining us today on this edition of Mind Talk. Mind Talk is brought to you daily as an educational public service, and it is not intended to replace any work that you might choose to do with a medical, mental health, or other professional. Mind Talk is produced by Jim Brown and 26x2 Communications. Love to know where in the world you are as you're listening to Mind Talk, so do send an email to me at Pamela. P-A-M-E-L-A at mindtalk.org. That's M-Y-N-D-T-A-L-K dot O-R-G. Be sure to sign up for the program guide. Sign up for the free giveaways. And remember always, if it's unacceptable, it's unacceptable. You take care.